Self-awareness is one of the hottest topics in leadership right now. But what is self-awareness? And as a leader or a coach, can you develop it? Dr. Tasha Urich is an organizational psychologist and New York Times best-selling author. Her latest book, Insight, delves into the connection between self-awareness and success and has made her one of the leading voices on the topic. I'm Cody Royal and this is Where Others Won't. Tasha Yurik, I am delighted to be able to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm great. It's great to be here. Self-awareness is the topic right now in leadership and culture development. You don't have to spend too long on LinkedIn before you see a, <laughs> an article talking about self-awareness as a topic and exploring it, particularly in the workplace. But I'm going to start here. How self-aware are you? Well, if you had asked me this question before I started my five-year research program on the subject, I would have said very self-aware. Thank you very much. <laughs> but as I've really uh, sort of dove into the psychology and the science behind understanding who we are and how other people see us, I, uh, you know, I, my journey has been very similar to a lot of my executive coaching clients, which is most people think we know ourselves pretty well. Uh, our research has shown that about 95% of people think they're self-aware, but then the counter to that is only about 10 to 15% of us really truly are. And there's something kind of great about that to me, actually, is it's, you know, it's a journey that we're all on and that's what makes it so interesting. So I, I, I'm, I'm with everyone else on that. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And, you know, my background is sports and I think what's great about sports is that it plays out in the public domain. So you can start to pick up on little things around the kind of self-awareness sphere because you can watch the coaches in action. You can watch the leadership actually play out and something that doesn't exist in the business landscape. As you were doing the research for this book and for your organization and for your other coaching clients, did, did you look at at sports, sports leaders? And, and if so, did you find anything noteworthy? So what's interesting about a lot of the principles in our research is that they are basically universal. So um, that is true for what the team is doing. So in this case, if they're a professional sports team, if they're running a Fortune 10 company, uh, it, it seems to be pretty universal with some exceptions around the world. So our research has, you know, has had people from uh, probably more than a dozen countries, and we've sort of looked at that. But that's, again, the beauty of it is the principles of good leadership apply in every single situation where leadership is needed. And again, I think that's a, that's a positive thing to have those universals. Obviously, it's, it's going to be specific to the team you're in, um, but I think we can learn a lot from it. I want to backtrack a little bit because I know your team did a lot of work on even defining mm -hmm. what self-awareness is when you kind of went into this project and decided that it was going to be something that you're going to go away and research. And I've heard you describe it on other shows and I loved 
you to just kind of dig into the process that you went through and, and where you ended up in terms of what even is this? Because, you know, we tend to think about it as it's just internal facing. It's, it's all about me. But you guys kind of came up with something a little bit different. So can you explore that just quickly for me? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. So when we first started this research, I was so naive. I was thinking, oh, well, you know, no one's really truly scientifically dug into this in a comprehensive way, but maybe after about six months, we'll have figured out what self-awareness is, where does it come from, why do we need it, how do we get it? And I was sorely mistaken. Um, there is just so much out there and it's the research is really disjointed and nobody agrees about anything. So it actually took us almost a year to just define what is self-awareness? And we started to see after, you know, looking at almost a thousand uh, scientific uh, articles that there were sort of two categories that kept bubbling up to the surface, both of which were important. So the first one we named internal self-awareness. And to your point, that's what most people think about. It's, you know, do I know myself? Do I know what I want? Do I know what I value? Do I understand my, my personality, my patterns? But an equally important uh, dimension of self-awareness is called external self-awareness, which in a nutshell is knowing how other people see us. And so once we got those two things, we started to think, okay, well, are those two types of self-knowledge related? So in other words, if I'm internally self-aware, if I kind of know who I am, will I know how other people see me and vice versa? Mm -hmm. And one of the first truly surprising findings I think of our research was there's actually no relationship between those two types of self-knowledge. And you, you sort of think about it in your mind. There's people who are clearly low on both. We see them every day. Uh, the people who are high on both are really the ones who get the maximum benefit as, as leaders and as humans. But then there's some people that are more kind of introspective, um, maybe at the expense of other people, um, you know, their understanding of how they're coming across to other people, right? Um, and then the other side of it is, I call them pleasers, people who are so focused on how other people see them, that they maybe haven't even done the work of saying, who am I and what do I want? I love that because it gives a nice roadmap for developing self-awareness. Uh, when I'm talking about this all around the world, that's one of the first questions I ask is, where are you? How much work have you done on your internal self-awareness, your external self-awareness? Most people have one that they kind of gravitate towards. And so on that topic, do you kind of need to start with internal awareness or could you start with external awareness and kind of work backwards? That's a really good Good question. I, I'm going to pull a Marshall Goldsmith and say, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it can work both ways where part of it is really just what do you want to focus on? Um, you know, certainly both can have really positive surprises, but there can be some negative surprises. You got to really make sure that you're ready to take that on. And um, in our research, we found a lot of ways to kind of, um, uh, you know, shortcut that, that process a little bit and get a lot of self-knowledge. But I don't, I don't think there's a right way to approach it, honestly. That really warms my heart because the the thing that I've struggled with in the broader discourse around self-awareness has been the fact that, you know, and I've tweeted about this a couple of different times and, you know, for me, self-awareness is internal self-awareness. It, it surely has to be a stepping stone to something else. So, for instance, 8 billion people on the planet Earth all being self-aware doesn't create a greater society. Like mm -hmm. us all just knowing what we want and, and how to interpret our, our own emotions and feelings doesn't really equate to anything other than us knowing each other. Um, whereas when you can kind of step out into an external awareness as well, 
that to me seems to be, again, coming from a sports coach perspective, a team sport coach perspective, that's what I'm interested in is do you know how you're being interpreted by the outside as well? And so that's why I really gravitated towards your work because I think you were the first one to really kind of look at it and say there's an external portion to this as well that maybe hasn't gone explored. That's it. And, and that's, that's sort of mirrored in the research on self-awareness. You can go all the way back to Freud. Um, you know, he wasn't super scientific about his work, but the principles were very internally self-aware, um, you know, focus. And I think as the world is becoming more complex, as the world change, changes quickly and more and more quickly, we have to be able to have a way to understand how we're coming across because, you know, in terms of leadership, the behaviors that served us, um, you know, 10 years ago or in our past job in a different company are not always what serves us now. And so if you think about if people only focus on on, on internal self-awareness, they're going to miss that. And as clearly as they see themselves, if, uh, you know, they turn around and no one's following them, that's (laughs) called feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the reality is, depending on which study you look at, but if you kind of go by, you know, Deloitte and PwC statistics, you're looking at kind of 80% of work in the workplace is done in teams. And so, you know, in days gone by, that might not have been the case, but really we're, we're in communities basically all the time, whether that be even remotely or digitally or, you know, in the office building, there is that that need to be able to understand team dynamics. And yeah, I really like that being able to play off each other and, and develop both rather than just kind of sitting there and and always reflecting. I'm not sure that is sustainable. And not only is it not sustainable, um, we and others have found that too much introspection done the wrong way actually backfires. So it, it leads us <laughs> right. away from the knowledge and the truth about ourselves. And usually it, it depresses the hell out of us in the process. And why is that? This is an interesting question. So, so another one of the big surprises we found early on in our research, I was just doing this, what I thought was very simple little study. It was like 300 people and I surveyed them. How much time do you spend self-reflecting? And then we also looked at things like how stressed are you? How anxious are you? How in control of your life are you? Are you happy with your relationships and your job? And for me, I was like, well, I got to check this off the list, but I'm positive that the longer people spend self-reflecting, the better off they'll be. And what we found was the exact opposite. So strangely, um, you know, people who spent a lot of time introspecting were more stressed, more depressed, more anxious, less happy. Um, and I thought, oh my God, maybe self-awareness is bad. Maybe I shouldn't be writing this book at all. And, you know, there was a period of time where I was like, oh, what am I going to do? But eventually what we discovered was it's not that introspection in and of itself is uh, unhelpful or unproductive. It's just the way that most people do it trips them up. And the, the easiest way to explain this, this is a really rich topic, um, but just to kind of make it simple, a question that a lot of people ask themselves when they introspect is why? You know, they might say, why am I so upset after that interaction with my teammate? But there are two problems with that. The first is the reason we ask why is usually because we think we're going to like excavate some unconscious thought or feeling or motive 
But the truth is, and this has been shown time and time again, that we can't access that part of ourselves. It's just not accessible to us. And so what happens is we settle on something that feels true, but is um, very often not the actual reason. Um, and so it, it's, that sort of leads us away. And then the second thing it does is it, it often traps us. So anyone who's asked, like, let's say you don't get a promotion or a job that you really wanted to get, you might say, why did I not get that? And it feels productive because you say, well, I want to do better next time and I've got to be introspective. That's what all the LinkedIn articles told me. Um, <laughs> right? But then you get in the spiral where you're stuck in the past, you're not moving forward, you're feeling disempowered. And so what we discovered in our research with uh, highly self-aware people that didn't start out that way is they were asking themselves slightly different questions. So hmm. instead of asking themselves why, we saw over and over and over again in our interview transcripts, they were asking what questions. So an example would, instead of, you know, why didn't I get that promotion? They would ask something more to the effect of, what can I learn from this process so that I can get the job in the future? Or yes. instead of, you know, why am I so upset after that interaction with my teammate? They could ask, what part of this do I own? And the difference there, it's subtle, but I think it's profound. And, you know, this research has really taught me so much about how to, how to respond to the world and, and live in it and be happy and healthy. And um, I think it, the more we can change our inner script from those why questions to what questions, the more likely we're actually going to build that internal self-awareness. I love that. And so we're all looking for these types of people the unicorns that you call them, uh, you know, from the workplace perspective, hiring managers are all after them. Even from my perspective, from a, a sporting organization, coaches want these types of players. They want the, the, the team first player that asks those what questions that you're talking about there. So I'm going to throw this at you. How, how can we start to get this even into my next book's going to be about the hiring process. How can we start to weave this into the hiring process? Like how are hiring managers going to be able to find this kind of person? Cause this isn't something that's going to ever show up on a traditional resume. So we're going to have to have conversations about it when we meet these people to, to figure out, you know, how self-aware they are both internally and externally. You're right. And, and just like any other, um, you know, quote unquote soft skill, sometimes people could be really great at, um, you know, showing or implying that they're more self-aware than they actually are. And there's a lot to that. And there's, you know, assessments. Our team has been developing a self-awareness assessment for several years, um, validating it. But I think one really actionable takeaway for any hiring manager who wants to hire more self-aware people is to just ask the following question of everyone they interview. And the question is, tell me about a time in the past where you've made a big mistake. What happened? What did you do? and what did you learn? Mm -hmm. And the reason I know this, and I learned this the hard way, was um, when I was back in the Fortune 500 world, you know, more than a decade ago now, I was interviewing someone who um, was going to be a dotted line report to me. And I asked him that question just kind of like out of dumb luck. I had had a HR, de <laughs> HR department gave me a list of questions. And I said, oh, that one's pretty good. And so I asked this candidate the question, um, and <laughs> you know what he said? He said, well, that's easy. I've never made a mistake. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 okay, maybe even a little one, not a big one. But, and he said, nope, I've never made a mistake. And so I gave the pretty strong recommendation to the hiring manager that we not hire this gentleman. <laughs> uh, and they did anyway. 
and he ended up being uh, truly a disaster. Um, in the like biggest sense of that word. And so obviously that's a really kind of comical uh, extreme example, but I think when faced with that question, a self-aware person is going to handle it so differently, right? They're going to be humble. They're going to be reflective. They're going to hopefully have learned something and put that into action. That's really the essence of why it's such a valuable skill set. And then let's kind of follow this path. So we've hired this person and then they're in the workplace and, and let's say they're a, a, a team lead. There's going to be, you know, an analysis of their ability to lead people and, and move up the, you know, quote unquote corporate ladder into leadership positions as well. So is there a way that we can even potentially measure it whilst people are on the job to say, you know what, this person, they, they understand themselves and they also understand the broader environment and, and people around them and how they're interpreted and, and uh, you know, the outside world as well. Um, cause again, that's, you know, it's not something that you traditionally see show up on, on how people are measured. It's usually sales, it's usually outcome driven. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is, is more kind of an, an intangible that you can't really put a number on, but it's still there. Well, and I, as a psychologist, a, a quantitative oriented psychologist, I do believe that you can measure almost anything. Um, and so again, there, there are a lot of assessments out there that get at this somehow. Um, in addition to ours, there's, uh, the social styles, which I really like that has a other rating. There's a lot of 360s, right? Where you self rate your skills and you get other people to rate you. And then you look at the difference. Um, but, but I also think you can look at the outcome. So let's say there's a, a hypothesis that a particular leader is not very self-aware. A lot of times that's going to be reflected in things like their engagement scores. It's going to be reflected in higher turnover, lower team performance. Um, and, and so you can sort of find the clues, but you're right. It, it is really a tough nut to crack in some sense that, you know, can you assign a number to it? I would say, even though that's what I do for a living, um, it's never that simple. So I think if you look at multiple pieces of evidence, that can, that can be at least a little bit clearer. And, and those assessments can really play an interesting part as well. So for listeners of the show, I had Nancy Spotton on a couple of months ago who uh, uses the, the TAIS assessment, T-A-I-S. Um, and I actually sat that assessment and got mine back and my awareness is in the 98th percentile. Nice. So my um, external awareness or my ability to read the situation, the external situation, uh, is high. But what I love about assessments, and I'd love to do yours as well, um, is that it can become a discussion point. And so as we're talking through this you know, hiring process, as an example, or promotion process, you can actually sit there with someone and have their data, their measurable data, and say, and, and talk through that with them rather than the performance-driven outcomes that we've traditionally associated with hiring and with promotion. And, uh, you know, that kind of process would uncover self-awareness as well. You have, here's the data and then you and your manager can sit there and just talk about it. You're good at these things and you're not so good at these things. So let's talk about that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the beauty of this whole process of self-awareness is if you find something, especially that's surprising, that is, let's say, suboptimal about how you're showing up, you get to decide what to do about it. Um, I, yes. I talk about a, a leader in, in Insight who was a very successful entrepreneur, but who unfortunately found out he was, I think, 
in his words, a miserable communicator. That was something to the effect of what he found. And he did a bunch of reading and a bunch of discovery, and he came to the conclusion that no matter what he did, he probably was only going to have just a nominal improvement. So instead of putting all of his time and energy into something that he came to the conclusion he couldn't change, he started to be more open about it with his team and with himself. So he actually called a company meeting and he said, hey guys, I want to tell you what I learned from my 360. Uh, I, I do this badly. I want to be really clear on um, you know, what, what I mean and what I don't mean. If, I, for, you know, if you have a baby and I forget to mention it when you come back, that doesn't mean that I don't care about you. Um, if you got a promotion and I don't recognize you, it doesn't mean that I don't value you. And even just opening that dialogue, obviously the, the best situation is we wake up tomorrow and we're different, um, but that's not always possible. So I think we should always look at that full range of options when we learn something maybe from one of these assessments that change isn't the only possible outcome. And that's so important for that external side of things as well in terms of interpreting messages from someone you know, that can be our biggest trap is we make up what we think they mean or we make up what, uh, you know, that uh, they're, they're angry with us, even though they didn't mean it. And, and when you know someone else's data as well, or you know, someone else's style, you can kind of process it through, uh, through the right funnel and say, well, yeah, you know, he's, he's actually this, or she's, you know, got a tendency for that. Um, What I found really interesting about mine was that I showed up, very high on introvert and extrovert. Hmm. And so I'm actually both at the same time, which is obviously quite rare. Usually you would tend to one or the other. Uh, And the other one was that I'm really high on control and what control means isn't controlling situations. It's actually stepping up into leadership positions, Um, which again is is something that I kind of knew about myself, but to be able to see it, quantified now allows me to go, yeah, that, you know, I, I do have that tendency and, and even the introvert extrovert one, I, I can self-reflect in certain situations and say, am I being too introverted in this uh, circumstance or could I be more uh, extroverted? Um, it, in terms of a guide for a coach, especially where yeah. you are on show, you are standing in front of, you know, Aussie rules football is teams between 20 and 50 and so you're standing there on center stage basically at all times. And so to understand that data for me has been so empowering. And I can only imagine what it's like on the workplace once you start to get 200 people together, 500 people together that all understand themselves at this level. It's a ripple effect. And you know, on the, on the sort of business side, you can see examples in the, the, um, the, the press about this. You, know, you look at a company like Ford, um, when Alan Mulally, their highly self-aware CEO, took over in 2006, the company was on the verge of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And he was able, through a principle that he actually called awareness for everyone, he was able to shape the culture and business in such a way that five years later, when he retired, they had their second best year ever. And so I I always hear a lot of people like, oh, self-awareness is nice and fun and how nice for you that you're studying that. Uh, But really, it is so central to a success of a leader, to the success of their collective organizations, again, whether it's a sports team, an executive team, um, and, and the leaders who cultivate it are the ones who reap the rewards. Because I think in this world, everybody's talking about self-awareness, but very few people are actually doing anything about it. 
I'm glad you brought up the organization. Let's swing there for a little bit and just kind of just riff with me on this. Yeah. We're, we're talking about, you know, whys and DNA of, of companies and corporate culture and all that sort of stuff. So if we merge these two ideas together, can we have an organizational self-awareness? I love that question. And I, I don't know if I fully can articulate the answer. My sense is there has to be some kind of collective awareness, right? It does, doesn't it? I think it? Everybody, everybody who's been a part of a team with you know, a really self-aware leader who models getting feedback, who's humble, who asks for help, it sort of you know, it creates that culture where other people are going to rise to that occasion. Um, so to me, that's a really interesting research question. What's your view? I would agree with you. And I think from my world, there tends to be a couple of standout organizations that are headed that way. Uh, the All Blacks would be one where I think, I think they understand themselves probably better than any organization, both in terms of their history and where they've come from. And obviously it's a, it's a little bit easier when you're talking about a, a country in that there's a, a heritage that you can clue into. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there is. And then I think again, merging the ideas together, I think the interesting thing is an organization can also practice it and they can be aware of both internal and external, how they're perceived externally and then decide whether they care about that or not. And then also on the, the internal side, be really reflective around the behaviors that they exhibit and why and how they're interpreted. And uh, yeah, I, I think everything kind of matches up almost one-to-one, -one. but again, I, I'd love to see some research on it. Yeah. And I, I've kind of looked at the research, for example, that uh, Amy Edmondson is doing on psychological safety. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really critical part of fostering team self-awareness. So, you know, you think about you want a leader who's modeling those behaviors. You need the team to be safe in order for you to speak up and admit, you know, admit failure, ask for feedback. Um, and then you also need some way of, of constantly having that as a part of your conversation. Obviously not so much that it's distracting, but a lot of teams I know, you know, they, somebody would say, well, you know, we, we, all, we all did 360s and then we did a leadership team retreat and that was five years ago and we're good. <laughs> yeah, we're good. You know? yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's a, it's a continual process. So I think those are, those are my you know, theory about kind of the three building blocks of a self-aware team. But again, I think there's just so much that if anybody's listening, that's a research nerd, um, I, the world needs you. Yeah, that's the one I think I, I would be so interested in that. And uh, even across disciplines, again, coming from that kind of sitting in between sport and business. And I'd love to see even within bring in some of the, the, the military, military studies and, and things like that as well. And, uh, you know, either create parallels or create differences amongst how they all interact and, you know, size of teams and things like that, how much interaction there is between them. Mm. Uh, I think that would be really interesting. I want to talk to you about your book and I want to ask a question that I ask anyone who's written a book or books like you, what, what have you found since you released it? Cause the, the thing that tends to prop up is, you know, you work on it for one, two, three, four, five, 10, 15 years. And you have this idea of your book in your head and then you release it out into the world and it becomes the audience's book. It's mm -hmm. now theirs to interpret. 
did the audience clue in on some element or a particular chart or a particular chapter that you maybe weren't anticipating or that wasn't your favorite? What, yeah, what happened once you released your latest book? So let me, let me give you kind of a, a negative surprise and a positive surprise. I'll start okay. with the negative one. Um, <laughs> this is like classic researcher, Tasha. Uh, the, the title for the uh, original hardcover was Why We're Not As Self-Aware As We Think and How Self-Awareness Helps Us Succeed at Work and in Life, something to that effect. Right. And as it turns out, if you tell people they're not self-aware, it doesn't really make them want to be more self-aware. It's like, well, to me, it's like breathing. It's like, oh my gosh, if you know that you have a deficit in this, you have to build it. And so I've really learned, you know, again, by talking to thousands and thousands of people in different audiences and different countries and, you know, different locations that you have to make the case for it. You Mm -hmm. have to say, here's why this matters. Um, Self-aware people are more successful at work. They're more promotable. They're better leaders. They're better communicators. They run more profitable companies. And so I've gotten better at articulating that. And I think, um, you know, sometimes you can only know something when you put it out into the universe. So that was one. The other thing that I've noticed um, that's been really cool is how much this book has caught on with coaches. And I don't even just mean executive coaches. I mean, you know, sports coaches, even people who um, are, are not necessarily a, they're a formal leader, but their role is really exclusively to bring out the best in others, right? To say, I'm going to get this team to win, or I'm going to work with this executive and make sure that they're hugely successful. It, it's been very cool to see people finding these principles helpful in those respects because if ultimately my goal is to make the world a more self-aware place, which it is, having that amplified by so many people who really this material has resonated with who are using it in their own work has been, um, I actually get a little choked up talking about it. It's been really, really cool. I'm not surprised by that with the sports coaches just because that world, you know, essentially everything is taken off their plate other than coaching the team. And so the, the development of yourself is the pinnacle uh, of what you're trying to achieve. So, you know, you think about the workplace and all the administrative duties and things you need to do, the timesheets and blah, 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 kind of adds up and you might not actually have as much time to coach your team. Whereas sports coaches tend to almost solely focus on themselves and the development of their players. And so I'm not surprised that it resonates with them in particular. What made you write the book? Cause it's quite different from your first book, different topic. What was the spark? So I, the spark was um, if I could trace it back to something, I was coaching this executive. Um, I talk about him in the book. I've given him the fake name of Steve. Um, and he basically went from someone who a member of his team told me that he was such a bad boss that he had started taking blood pressure medication just so he could stand to work for this person. Um, In in really six months or eight months, becoming a self-aware, humble, open, um, other-oriented leader. And I just remember thinking like, um, you know, Whenever my coaches or coaches are wildly successful, that is them, right? I'm I'm just helping them along the process. But I wondered, what if what if I could bottle that somehow? 
what if there's a way, um, you know, that doesn't involve this extensive executive coaching uh, assignment that I could sort of figure out how to inform other people's journeys. And what I, what I did actually, it was a, around Christmas time, I remember probably six or seven years ago now. And I just started looking into the scientific research. I was doing literature searches, like what do we know about self-awareness? And I discovered that for all the platitudes that people were throwing around in the business world, we really didn't know a whole lot. It was, you know, it was disjointed. It wasn't clear. It was sort of like overly academic and not really looking at, at real important topics for, for the applied world. And so I, like I said earlier, I very naively, I was like, well, I shall convene my research team and we will figure this out. And <laughs> what was so great about it, I mean, it was infuriating, but what was so great about it is this has become just the the richest, most complex, rewarding topic that I could have sort of ever even imagined. And what was fun about the book actually was, <laughs> it's, it's long anyway. I mean, it's not like super long, but it's longer than, than some books. And we cut about 50% from that um, to, to make it the length that it is. So there's just so much to explore. And it's kind of like our own self-awareness journey. No matter how much we know, there's always more we can learn. So it's been, it started out as kind of like a mild curiosity and has become a, a really central passion for me. And so if we were to give the listeners some takeaways here in terms of you know things that they can do today or this week or this year to really beef up their self-awareness because we need that number, what is it, 10 or 12%? We need that to be greater. We do. Where, where can we start? Let's say, let's say we're at a zero. <laughs> no self-awareness whatsoever. What's the first stepping stone? Because, again, you can Google this until, uh, you know, I'm sure Google probably runs out of pages in terms of discussion around this. But let's cut through all the junk and go to the expert, which is you. Where can we start with this stuff? I'm going to give you three quick actions. Um, the first one is really more of a decision or a mindset. And what we found with our highly self-aware people that didn't start out that way, our self-awareness unicorns, was each of them came to a point in their lives where they decided, you know, this journey is going to be hard. It's going to take energy. It's going to take curiosity and determination, but it's worth it knowing that that knowledge on the other side of this is going to help me, you know, make better choices for myself, build better relationships, make a better contribution to the world. And so I think, you know, and I'm a pragmatist. So if we can make that choice four days out of seven, we're going to be in pretty good shape. So that's the first. The second, um, I already gave the what not why tool for internal self-awareness, but one yeah. more I'd offer. We found that our, our research subjects, pretty much all of them had some kind of a daily check-in for their internal self-awareness. And the questions they were asking boiled down to three things. So they basically asked, what went well today? What didn't go so well today? And then how can I be smarter tomorrow? And what I love about that is it, it lends itself to like a very quick sort of mindful assessment without getting sucked into all the sort of unproductive things about introspection. The third thing is the scariest and potentially the most game-changing. This is for external self-awareness. And I've named it uh, the dinner of truth. And what you do is you yes. find someone whose relationship is important to you, who you want to, you know, be closer to or, or continue to build that relationship. And you ask them the following question. What do I do that is most annoying to you? And then you listen. 
And how does this tend to go? <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm guessing you've done it. So tell us how it tends to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I would never suggest that my readers or clients do anything that I haven't done multiple times myself. <laughs> um, I'll just. I'll, I'll tell you like very, very quickly the first one I ever did because I think it's really instructive. So um, I intentionally picked like a crotchety friend. Everybody has the crotchety friend that's like. Yeah. Well, don't get too full of yourself because you're not that, you know, um, but in a loving way. And his name is Mike. And I, I dreaded it. I was worried. I was, my biggest fear was he's actually going to say, I don't like you very much. You're not really my friend. You know, we sort of go to the worst case scenarios. And what he ended up sharing with me was super actionable, not at all personal, and really changed my behavior in a pretty significant way. His answer was, um, well, I love you in person but I hate you on social media. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and as we talked about it, I, I learned that, you know, totally unintentionally, I think like all of us, this is a whole nother podcast we could do about just the cult of self and social media and narcissism, but I was sort of falling into that trap. And so the reason I tell that story is it's almost never as dire or personal as we think it will be. And every time I've done it, I feel... Um, I feel more empowered and more in control and I get to make that decision. And, you know, the worst thing is you're doing something that's bugging one of your closest friends and they haven't told you that Alan Mulally of Ford always says not knowing is really what's this, what the scary thing is. Um, so given mm -hmm. the alternative, you know, it's like, how could you not do that? How could you not deepen and strengthen your relationships in that way by one, you know, pretty straightforward question? Yeah. It's that whole greatest fear lies in anticipation thing and you, you've created the story already of what the person's going to say at the dinner and then they probably going to come out with a gem yeah, <laughs> like exactly, your friend exactly. you're pretty good on social media yeah well now i am now <laughs> i had my friend mike at my dinner <laughs> thanks mike <laughs> everyone in the world thank you mike <laughs> and then so okay so three tips and then is there a is there a watch out is there a pseudoscience version of of what you're doing is there a, a a red flag you know if i'm someone who's read all the articles and i'm journaling and i'm meditating and i'm doing yoga and i'm you know putting in my calendar time to reflect at you know 5 p.m. every day is there something that we should potentially rethink that is kind of commonplace already you know, I would go back to the pitfalls of introspection and really just disavowing ourselves of the notion that the amount of time we spend focusing on ourselves is not necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean we're going to know ourselves better. So making sure that the practices we're using for developing self-awareness are research-based. Um, they work. They're not going to lead us astray. They're not going to make us more narcissistic. That's, a, again, a whole other area of discussion. But oh, yeah. I think if we come at it with a humility, with a genuine curiosity, with a balance, right? Like a self-acceptance of saying, I, you know, I do a lot of things really well. I do a lot of things really poorly. And I love that person anyway, as cheesy as that sounds. That's another thing we found in our, in our research participants is that the most highly self-aware among them were also the most self-accepting. Um, so uh, just like we shouldn't sort of oversimplify this, I think we also have to just be kind to ourselves. I think you, me, and Adam Grant should get together and do that narcissism episode. 
Adam was on our first episode uh, and uh, yeah, we only just scratched the surface on that, but I'd love to dig deeper into to that as a topic. Um, I would like to RSVP yes to that. <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> we'll, we'll hook that up. Um, so you're obviously super passionate about this and you've been living this for four or five, six years now. Outside of, you know, this newfound love that you have of exploring self-awareness, what, what are you learning about? You know, what, what are you reading? What are you studying? What do you, what, what, if I went through your Wikipedia history at the moment, what have, what have you been kind of entertaining yourself with that's kind of really intellectually stimulating you? I love that question. I am a, a voracious reader of nonfiction. And one okay. thing that I'm particularly passionate about is uh, American history. And so I've started this project. It's not going as quickly as I was hoping, but where I'm reading a biography of every American president in order. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on Monroe. Got a little ways to go. <laughs> but it's actually just been very cool because, you know, obviously you're learning about that time period through the lens of one leader, which is something I'm just so passionate about and so endlessly fascinated by. It's a, a fascinating topic in general. I'm reading Sapiens at the moment. I know I'm late to the party on that, but uh, I'm si sitting there reading it. I'm like, I learned none of this in school. Um, and then on top of that, being Australian, they didn't teach us Australian history at all. So I have no idea what happened <laughs> through Australian history. So I, maybe I should do the same thing. I should uh, do the Australian prime ministers in order. That, wouldn't that be cool? Like we could get a reading list of like so many countries and a suggested reading list if somebody wants to um, go global. That would be fascinating. That's a, that's a website on its own. It's a hit. We've got a new podcast. We've just started a web, a history website. <laughs> <So> exciting! <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 your assistant is going to get off. She's like, what have you done? <laughs> You've created three new businesses, two new websites. <laughs> got to pull it back, pull it back. <laughs> All right, Tasha, uh, you're awesome. Where can people find you? Where can they find your book and, and everything that you're up to, uh, your assessment and, and everything that you've got, the, the tools that people can use? around self-awareness, where can they find it all? So taking my friend Mike's advice, I've learned that it really isn't about me. It's about helping your listeners on their journey. And we created a resource uh, to do this that I'm really excited about. We've had like tens of thousands of people take it, but it's a shorter version of our longer self-awareness assessment called the Insight Quiz. And it takes about five minutes. So you fill out 14 questions about how you see yourself. You enter someone who knows you well, uh, their email address, and they fill out those 14 questions. And then you get this nice little report that gives you a high-level picture of your self-awareness, a couple of um, actions you can take right away to be more self-aware. Um, I always tell people, please don't make any major life decisions based on the results. This is just like a fun little party <laughs> trick thing, um, hopefully to spur more discussion. Um, but if anyone's interested in taking that, it's totally free, no strings attached. It's insight-quiz.com. And then that's a portal into probably everything you could possibly want to know about me. Um, but again, uh, I think it's really about supporting the journey of, of everybody. Thank you so much, Tasha. We, uh, we are going to have to book that next episode. So we'll get on that. I'll email and, Adam. Uh, we'll get it going. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much for, for sharing this. Um, a ton of information for people to take away. And, and I also learned a lot as well. So um, really appreciate your time. It was truly a blast. Thanks for having me.